Hello all, and welcome back to From the Front Row. My name is Steve Linsanye, and this week Emma Metter and I had the opportunity to interview the two recipients for the University of Iowa College of Public Health's 2020 Outstanding Alumni Awards. Our two recipients were Ty Borders, who earned a Master of Arts degree and a doctoral degree in Hospital and Health Administration, a Master of Science degree in Epidemiology, and now works as a professor in the College of Nursing and director of the Rural and Underserved Health Research Center at the University of Kentucky, and Carrie Harland, who earned a Master of Public Health degree and a doctoral degree in Epidemiology and is now Director of Research Operations in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, an adjunct assistant professor with the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. This award recognizes College of Public Health alumni who have made distinguished contributions to the field of public health and demonstrated a strong interest and commitment to the mission, vision, and values of the college. Please enjoy this interview with them. To start off, could you each talk a little bit about your time as a student? What advice do you have for today's students? We didn't talk about who would go first, so I'll, I'll, talk, I'll take this one <laughs> first. <laughs> um, I think some of the things I talked about um, earlier, I think for today's student, it's really important um, when you come into the job market, the expectation is that you will have applied those skills um, that you learn in the classroom. And so I think that's one big takeaway. And the other is to build your mentorship team to be um, what you want your career to be. So if um, if academia is not what you want, then that's, you know, find, find mentors outside of academia. If you think you want to have a family, have mentors that have a family, um, all of those sort of things. I think those are the two, two big take-homes that I would have for students today. Yeah, I think my comments would be similar. When I think about students I've worked with who have graduated recently and been successful and you know, pursuing careers, whether, whether those are in research or academia or the private sector. I think that um, what's really important is that persons have skills because I think employers are looking for um, graduates who are good um, writers, who have strong analytical skills. Those may be quantitative or statistical oriented or they could be analytically oriented in terms of thinking about complex problems. But to the extent that persons have skills and they have experience with those skills, I think that really is what sets persons apart. And that's what I look for in my own work when I'm thinking about hiring somebody to be part of our team. And Ty, continuing on that thread of skills needed, what made you want to pursue that master's in epidemiology after you got your master's and doctoral degrees in hospital and health administration? Was there something that stuck out to you that made you think, I need epidemiology to succeed in this area or define myself further? So usually when a person receives or pursues a, a PhD in health administration or really at that level it's health services research, and a person would minor or sort of concentrate in economics, health economics, or epidemiology or organizational behavior. So I decided to have my methods concentration in epidemiology. And then I learned a lot about the substance of health management and policy from um, my, my courses in health administration. But I think that having just the added um, method skills, and I, I took more courses than I needed to graduate. I forget how many hours I had, but it was like 20 or 30 hours more than I needed to get my doctorate. 
I decided, you know, why not just go ahead and tack on the MS? But I think this combination of skills is, is beneficial. Um, if, if individuals can, can bring together skills from different areas, I, I think it helps, helps to set them apart. Then going on to our next question, how did you find out about finding your first job? Many students here will be going through that process this year or next year. Do you have any suggestions for them to make that process easier or more robust? Well, my first, I guess, you know, job, a real, real career type position was when I, after we got my master's degree in health administration and worked in Des Moines at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Iowa for their consulting division. And, you know, Iowa has always had really strong alumni connections and networks, which is a real benefit to um, graduates of the programs. And as I, as I uh, spoke about during my, my brief words, Clearly, a lot of the positions I've taken over the years um, and the positions I've been offered are really because of the connections I've built up in the field. Some of them through contacts and connections to other Iowa alumni, but also in terms of you know, just getting to know people in the field. And I suppose that's something that, that persons in any area might say is, you know, work continue to try to get to know people and so forth. I would echo those words as well. And um, I have found um, it'll be a little bit different in the next couple of years, but also reach out to those people who are experts in the field and ask to meet with them at conferences. Um, it's been amazing to me how many of the big names that you know in your field would love to have breakfast with you um, and talk with you about you know your future plans. And so, um, it can feel like a big risk, but I think it's one that's definitely worth taking to reach out to those people. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I tell my students all the time that I'm happy they come to my office. I think people are sort of scared to come on my office for some reason. Maybe they just think I'm too busy or, but you know, people are generally pretty happy to talk with others. Don't, don't be shy about reaching out or, you know, emailing somebody or giving that personal call. And in addition to that opportunity to reach out and talk to further connections, you know, when you're talking about finding your first job or your second job, aside from the connections piece, what did each of you do to position yourselves to be successful in the workforce? What were kind of the do's and don'ts of building up your career initially? In academia, and academia is, is not necessarily how it works in other sectors. But in academia, you know, I think one of the things I did was I began by, you know, doing analyses, publishing many papers to try to get my um, work out in publication. And I think that's important before people start applying for grants. And in medicine and public health and pharmacy, nursing, many of the health related fields, we're applying for grants. Um, and so that's very important too. So you need to build up your skills in terms of writing and also analysis and um, being successful in getting grant funding to be in many fields in academia. Um, now that's not necessarily the, the case, I wouldn't think for, you know, persons that may go into the private sector or may go work for a health department or so forth. Some of my um, students in the past few years have gone on to work for the federal government um, and sort of research related positions or health policy positions. And I think that what they have found that has been important is to really stay up to date and what's what the current issues are in, in health management and policy and just to be I guess very well versed on, the, on those issues. And I think from uh, my standpoint what I was able to do that set me apart 
um, particularly between the, um, when I was getting my master's degree is actually coordinating research studies. Um, so I was actively, you know, um, developing questionnaires, writing manuals of procedures, um, a lot of those things um, that will apply in a lot of different workspaces. Um, um, it wasn't until I got my PhD was I able to do more of those analysis sort of things. But I think a lot of what we weren't learning data collection, like once you're good at analysis, it makes data collection easier because you think about it, how you're going to analyze that data later. And so I think, um, again, it's more that practical experience um, that you can get writing papers like Ty was saying um, that really can set you apart. And it seems like it's definitely a big part of that initiative is wanting to have a strong foundation coming to any of the roles or any job that you're going to be experiencing. So going off about what we just talked about, about building up your career, um, for the both of you, has there been a really big moment in your career in which you could go in one direction or the other? And if so, how did you decide how to proceed? Uh, so I, I spoke to it briefly in my comments, but there was a point um, after I graduated where I was working with the Injury Center at the College of Public Health three days a week and then emergency medicine two days a week. And the injury prevention people are my people. Um, you know, that's my passionate area. I decided to take, um, and it took a lot of thought and um, decision making to think about what I wanted for my career. Um, and that's when I decided to move over to emergency medicine. Um, it was at that time, um, there was one other research staff person in the whole department, um, Dr. Jereen Denning. Um, and she um, mentored me on um, some of those clinical things that I hadn't experienced um, in some of my training. And it was the reason I made that decision is I saw opportunity for growth. Um, I knew at the Injury Center I would be able to publish papers and I would be able to help manage studies, but at emergency medicine I thought there was an opportunity to build a research infrastructure, uh, which I've been able to do with, with Dr. Moore. Um, we now have 24-7 research coverage in our emergency department. We have a whole three um, analysts, including some graduate research assistants. We have two research coordinators. Um, and all of that's happened in the last 10 years. Um, and it's something I'm really proud to have been a part of. Emergency medicine as an academic field is fairly new. Um, our department's, I'm going to say like 15 years old, maybe, um, which is not very old in the grand scheme of things. So um, for me, that big decision was, you know, what did I want for my career? And did I want to be part of, of building something new? Um, it, again, it's about taking a risk that might seem scary, but um, so far, so good. So yes, um, I agree with Carrie that sometimes you have to kind of just take a chance or take a risk. And for me in academia, um, as a health services researcher, many of us are, are more interested in more general healthcare access and quality issues, but a lot of the funding is more condition or disease specific. So I decided really to dive into the area of addiction health services research to try to compete for funding from the National Institute of Drug Abuse and the National Institute of Alcoholism, Alcohol Abuse. And that was, I think, a pretty pivotal moment for me to really like, you know, take a shot at getting NIH funding. Um, but also, you know, over the years, you know, I, have, I, have, I went to Texas Tech, you know, to help start a new department out in the, the um, in West Texas. And, you know, it's pretty far out there. I didn't even know where, where Lubbock, Texas was until I looked on the map. So that was a little risky. Um, although I met my wife there who, who went to law school at Texas Tech. And then I went to UAMS and now I'm at Kentucky. So I think that 
you know, sometimes you kind of have to move around in academia, and unfortunately that means you may have to move to a different university to have a new experience or a new opportunity. Um, recently, um, as Dean Parker mentioned, I transferred to the College of Nursing here at Kentucky after being in public health for, for maybe 15 years. Um, but have a little bit of a change of pace and work, work more with clinically um, oriented faculty members and open up some other doors in terms of doing research with the Markey Cancer Center here at UK. So I guess the, the thing I would, I would mention again is, you know, take a chance. It's, it's a little probably easier to do if you're not in academia, if somebody is an attorney or works in banking, you know, a person can maybe go across town or across the street to a different um, place to work. But I think, uh, you know, I have one colleague, um, Glenn Mays, I don't think he would like mind, mind if I shared this. He sort of has in his mind that persons should move every seven years or so just to have a different experience. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to kind of take a risk once in a while. I think that's an incredibly valuable message because I think a lot of folks end up in public health, but they don't expect to be doing what they're doing along the way. And it's kind of a very common thread to see all walks of life come together here. When you're talking about opening these doors or pulling on these different threads and seeing when they're leading, how did you guys decide to focus on your areas of research, whether it's rural health or injury prevention? What was kind of the, the thread that you pulled on to see where you should focus your interests? Well, for my research, a lot of my work does involve the, the conduct of population-based surveys. I'm really interested in the consumer perspective and the patient perspective of health and healthcare access. This probably dates back even farther to my um, undergraduate days as a psychology student um, at the University of Kansas. But I'm really interested, again, in, in individuals' perceptions and behaviors. So I kind of just applied that to rural health, and I think in part because I went to Iowa and there were persons, you know, faculty members there working in the area of rural health research. And then in part because of where I went when I graduated from Iowa to Texas Tech and then to Arkansas and now here at Kentucky. Um, you know, these are places where, where rural health problems are more substantial than in some other areas of the US. So I think it's, it's sort of a mixture of my interests, but also uh, it's been affected by where I've worked and who I've been able to work with. You can't plan everything out, I suppose. It just sort of, sometimes it kind of just happens. It's interesting though that I did not know this, but Ty and I both have undergrads in psychology. So <laughs> it's a good place to start. Um, I, my, my area of focus, like I said, is intimate partner violence, gender violence. Um, it really comes from my belief that what happens in our homes really has an effect on, on who we, um, the opportunities we get and the privilege that we have. Um, I have personally been affected by, with family members who have experienced this sort of violence and I have seen how it can change people um, and how strong it can make people. Um, like I said, um, you know, a lot of the work that I did early on was more in uh, identifying risk factors and um, interventions for people experiencing this type of violence. But really in the last five years or so, I'm trying to take that public health model and, and move up the rung to kind of that primary prevention. And so I think, and Ty has alluded to this, like it's really important that you have something you're passionate about. Um, but at times you will work on uh, things that you might not be as passionate about, but that are really important because that's where the funding is. 
Um, and so it's really important to have those skills um, that can apply across these different topics. I mean, um, I remember when Dr. Moore called me about the covered um, COVID project that we're doing, and, and my response was, I know really nothing about infectious diseases, but I'm passionate about helping the people I work with. And so I think it's really important to have, you know, people that you work with that you're passionate about, as well as um, a topic, an interest area that you're passionate about. So throughout your career, from your time as a student to where you are now, how valuable has mentorship been to you? So as I mentioned earlier, it has been very important. I, I kind of think about different persons who have served as mentors. Um, I mentioned my, my colleague and, and friend, Peter Helzerath, who I've bounced ideas off of, and he's kind of mentored me in terms of thinking about you know, positions I've considered over the years. And then I mentioned Brenda Booth, who was very instrumental in really helping me get into the field of addiction health services research and engaging me in her projects and you know, giving me the opportunity to work with her and publish from her data and, and so forth. So it has been really important. Um, you know, today, you know, still, I still call people and, and say, hey, why do you think about this? You know, think this is a good idea or this is kind of a crazy idea. And it, it still plays, it's a little different now you know, I think, I think my mentorship is more in terms of colleagues, but you need somebody who, I think, who can really kind of reflect on what you're thinking. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. I think I mentioned, you know, um, my first mentor who I haven't had a lot of connection with over the years, but Dr. Bill Field was the one who said, you know, give it a shot. Dr. Audrey Safless and Corinne Piquesa, as well as Ann Wallace, were really instrumental um, during my graduate degree. Um, not just from training me in epidemiology and data collection, but also in um, work-life management um, and those sort of things. Um, it's really important to have mentors who are willing to give you critical feedback um, and push you to um, be the best that you can be. Sometimes others can see in you what you can't see in yourself. Um, uh, and sometimes you just have to believe them when they tell you that you're capable of some things. Um, and so I think um, as a woman in science, it's really important to have other women in science as your mentors, as well as have mentors that are, um, you know, hashtag he for she, right? So they understand um, some of the challenges that come to us as women in science. Um, they're willing to advocate for us. Um, but uh, mentorship, as you can tell, is really important, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I think that you hit on all those, both of you hit on all those key points that a mentor gives you that critical feedback, that they are there to understand your academic life, but then also your personal life. And at the end of the day, you want that integration there because then you can understand how to be successful. And I really enjoyed the idea of, you know, they can see what in you that you haven't been able to see yet or what you can see being your potential and wanting to that be realized. Within this context of, you know, everything that you've been able to accomplish so far on both of your ends, what has been the highlight of your career thus far? And, and why is that the highlight of your career? You know, that's kind of a tough question. I, I kind of think about, you know, well, here's one of them, right? Um, receiving this award because we don't receive a lot of feedback in, in academia, at least very immediate feedback. But, you know, certainly when I ended up being successful in getting NIH funding. That was a pretty pivotal moment for me. I've also, as Dean Parker mentioned, been editor of the Journal of Rural Health for, I guess, 11 years, and that's been 
very beneficial for my career in terms of giving me work, more recognition in the field, but also forcing me to understand the, the field of rural health research and policy. So I kind of think about those you know, really big events in terms of when I've done something that's been pretty hard, you know, in, term, in terms of like getting the grant, you know, successfully being chosen as editor and, and, and so forth. I think for me, the thing that I'm most proud of besides this award, as Ty said, um, would be the work that I'm doing with the Iowa Department of Health, Public Health and the Sexual Violence Prevention. It's really important to me that we try to translate what we're learning in academia to the community. Um, it's also by far the hardest thing I've ever done, um, trying to measure things outside of a research infrastructure, um, doing true program evaluation where I've learned so much from graduate students, even in our own um, college, who have expertise that I don't. Um, but I really think trying to make that community impact um, in, in the realm of gendered violence and sexual violence is probably what I'm most proud of. The other thing I might add is, maybe I was going to, to throw this in for a question later, but um, the other thing that I think is really fulfilling is, um, for me, for te is teaching. I, I spend most of my time these days doing research, but I like teaching students, you know, undergraduates as well as graduate students, because when I see that a student gets it, it's it's rewarding for me. I, f I figure, well, I must be, I must understand what I'm doing. I'm, maybe I have a small impact on the way a student may think about things, or if I'm walking across campus and somebody says, hey, Dr. Borders, I mean, that that to me really matters because I may write an article or and so forth, and some people may read it or cite it, but it's not as, um, I guess, it's not the same impact as, as, as we might, as I think I have sometimes in terms of teaching. Yeah, it's really phenomenal to have those touchstones throughout the interaction of, you know, talking with folks, especially in the mentorship side, things like both of you have played in your roles, you know, teaching students and, and encouraging their professional and personal growth along the way. And we do want to thank you for your contributions to Iowa and then also, you know, congratulate you on receiving this excellent award. Uh, we'd like to turn it over to our Q&A now. We've got a couple questions along the way. And Emma, if you want to lead off with our first question from the audience. So our first question from the audience is, do you have examples when perseverance played a critical role in your career success? I think perseverance is probably the number one characteristic that someone in academics has to have. And I think... Um, Gosh, I'm trying to give a, think of a specific example. I, I guess the biggest one would be, you know, applying for that grant again, or um, in the current cohort study we're doing, it's trying, we got that cohort study up in about four weeks from the notice of funding to recruiting 1,600 um, physicians, nurses across the U.S. And perseverance is what did it, like our, and not just my own, but the team's perseverance that we were going to do this. This had to be done now because COVID is now, and we want to, um, support those who are who are taking care of, of those. But I really think, I mean, perseverance is by far, I think, the, the best characteristic that maybe someone in academia can have. Yeah, so the, the example I was thinking of, and maybe it's because I'm working on a grant application right now, and I was at UIMS, I submitted an R01, and this is when um, we could submit applications three times. So the first reviews that other professors provided um, they were good, but I didn't get a score. So you want to get a score on these things. Um, we reapplied. The second time we got a pretty good score, but it wasn't funded. So you know, a little, little, um, a little disappointing, I suppose. 
But then on the final stage, the final application, we actually got a perfect score somehow. So I'm like, you have to keep trying. You know, you can't just give up. And and uh, unfortunately, in academia, some of these some of these things take months or years. <laughs> so it's you really have to kind of stick with it. And within that thread of things, you're talking about perseverance and having to reapply or doing things as a team. You both have indicated how versatile epidemiology is and, and the importance of teams overall. What is it that you want to focus on with balancing teams out? You know, when you're coming together and bringing together different skill sets, what are things that students should be thinking of in that interprofessional environment? So I work with um, people from many different areas and um, especially for with our World Research Center, I have colleagues who are from political science, epidemiology, bioinformatics, communication and journalism, public health, medicine, and people have different knowledge and also different skills. And I, I'm the first one to acknowledge I have some skills and there are some skills that other people have that I don't. And, you know, people who are graduating, you know, now know things that I don't know, too. So we're really dealing with complex issues and it's important to, to work in teams, but I also think it's intellectually challenging. To, to really pull this off, though, I think it also requires that persons have an understanding, at least some understanding of different disciplines in, in the language. Sometimes we're studying the same we're trying to address this things, the, the same things, but maybe doing it in a slightly different way or a different language and thinking about people I work with in economics that are trying to address the same types of things as epidemiologists, but they're using different techniques and different languages. So I think it's important and, and students in public health like Stublin and Emma and others are, are I'm sure um, getting really good education in this is that you do have an understanding of health behavior biostat, health management and policy, et cetera, so you, that you can successfully communicate with others. Yeah, I would think um, when I think about balancing a team, I think about what the project involves and who, who when, that, when that project comes to an end, who is going to be my end user of that research project and how, what sort of information am I going to need to communicate that to to um, participants. I think a lot of, in public health, we're realizing we don't um, maybe communicate as well as, as we should. But I think in developing the team, I think about, you know, what skills people have, but I also think um, it's really important to make sure that we add diversity to our teams. Um, just, just as Ty was talking, not only discipline, um, but um, focusing on pulling in people that we haven't worked with before, um, across different colleges, different universities. Um, uh, as Ty has spoken before, I think one of my favorite things about working with students is I'm always learning from them also. Because um, as he said, there's, you know, epidemiology is, is changing every day. And so I think in building that team, I want to, you know, have someone who knows more than I do always on some sort of other topics um, for whatever that end user product's going to be. Great, thank you. I think those are wonderful points you both brought up. Based on the last six months, um, how do you think that the current events are playing into your research? How do you think it may change your research? And specifically, has your research changed um, based with rural public and rural emergency systems? Well, when COVID-19 really started to take off in the USA, I started to get some calls from media about how is this affecting rural areas and 
you know, I, like most people, didn't have many answers because it was so new. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to really read up on what we did know about this issue and potential treatments and how it may be affecting the healthcare system. And of course, because last semester I was teaching a, a class on healthcare organization and policy for undergraduate students, and I quickly added a session on COVID-19. And But there's just so much that we don't know. We're learning more, but there's a lot that we don't know. I think it's important, though, that we try to change our research and teaching pretty rapidly to respond to this crisis. And as an example, um, I submitted a grant proposal in May. Actually, I submitted several grant proposals in May, either as the PI or a co-I um, with some other colleagues to try to get more information about how COVID is affecting the healthcare system, including primary care physicians, family physicians, um, as well as some more specific topics like how are um, primary care physicians being able to treat persons with opioid disorder via telehealth. So COVID has really forced all these changes in the healthcare system, such as um, this relaxation of these um, regulations pertaining to telehealth, which I think could have some really long-lasting positive effects in terms of improving access. So we just need more information, but you know, it's important in public health um, in general to really, I think, address topics that are of um, a timely nature. So I spoke a little bit already about Project Covered, which is a, a project that we have in the emergency department looking at the risk to emergency physicians. Um, and although I found that work really fulfilling, I think what COVID-19 has um, given to me is even more energy to understand um, societal inequities, particularly gender inequities. We see that women who are working from home, um, having to balance even though I don't like to use the word work-life balance, but um, even more the sort of inequities and in how this pandemic may affect women's careers differentially than it has um, some of our male colleagues. And so I think um, it's just even made me more passionate about learning more about gender inequities, how you know kids being at home has affected um, the violence that those children are seeing and, and everyone being in the home, um, things that we currently don't understand. Um, but with kids, you know, but not being in school, not being with um, mandatory reporters and those sort of things, it really has made me just more passionate about um, what I already cared about. And I think that's one of the silver linings out of the pandemic, right? We are finding out these really intricate areas that we are all wanting to explore further and seeing potential and then areas of concern too that are evolving with that. We are seeing an unprecedented situation on our hands that we can devote our public health interest to for current students and then for current career professionals as well to this. One of the last points that we want to touch on today too is, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, different skills along the way. And one of the things outside of the academic setting is the soft skills. And the thing that we want to touch on really quick is what are some soft skills that you would encourage students to develop? that will help in their success beyond their education? So one thing that comes to mind, I, I guess this is sort of a soft skill, is being able to convey your work and what you do succinctly to others who are not in these rather you know, specific fields that we, we sometimes get into. As an example, I've had the opportunity to travel with our university's federal liaison to DC a couple of times to meet with 
our congressional delegation staff persons. And typically I have like five minutes tops to tell them our story and you know, what we're doing for Kentucky and you know, kind of put in an ask for what they can maybe try to do to help out the university to continue our work. And this takes, so you have to be a good communicator. You have to do it quickly. You also have to be sure that you kind of put politics aside because you're not there for political reasons. You're there for the university. And I think persons can think about this in terms of their own positions in the private sector or government, et cetera. You know, being able to rep communicate effectively, um, but also to represent the, your organization in a way that helps the organization out. The soft skill, the two that kind of come to mind is um, developing your emotional intelligence as well as understanding who your staff are and the type of feedback that they need or the students that you're working with, those that you're mentoring. Uh, one of my strengths is not being a direct communicator. I'm a Midwestern girl. Uh, and so, um, but there are people who, um, you know, respond better to more direct communication. And sometimes my ways of communication, right, are confusing. So, um, you know, developing those sort of soft skills to know how to um, work with the people you're mentoring, your staff, um, your emotional intelligence to be able to um, understand without maybe any words being said if one if someone is experiencing something that maybe they don't even want to talk about but giving them this the space the safe space to be able to to discuss those things yeah i think that's a good important emphasis is saying more with less you know tailoring your audience accordingly making sure that you are recognizing where people are at i think those are really common themes that we see in public health and it is a continual thing to want to improve our communication skills i do want to thank you both for coming on on today and, and chatting with us more and hearing about all of your answers to our various questions. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. If you had feedback for our team or suggestions for contact, we can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. Thanks to our guests, Ty Borders and Carrie Harland, for chatting with us today, and a warm congratulations on their achievements. This episode was hosted by Emma Metter and Steve Lansagne. This episode was edited and produced by Steve Lansagne. Thanks for listening in, and have a great week.